Welcome to Many Happy Miles, a podcast that celebrates all types of forward movement, whether it's setting a national record in the sprint medley relay, like Sarah's high school team recently did, or getting your physical therapy exercises in, as I am always doing these days. We're here to say yay to all of it. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wester Flynn. And Dimity, I have to be saying yay to you becoming a viral sensation on Instagram. <laughs> I don't, I mean, why? I don't think that that's the truth, but thank you, I guess. Well, um, if anyone who's listening follows us on Instagram, they will see that we recently posted a video, a little clip, not even a video, an eight second video of Dimity doing a PT exercise called the tipping or the drinking bird. And that video is blowing up, Dimity. We're like at 20,000 views and going strong. And not only is it like a lot of views, but they're likes and comments and something about you doing physical therapy moves resonates with people. And <laughs> I think we can take this somewhere. I don't know. We're going to make I, you like a running influencer, physical therapist, therapy moves. We can, we can work with this. We can make we it can rich, do Dimity, something. Huh? <laughs> just, just, just basically the key is I have to ste- keep being hurt, which I talked that's, last week on AMR mm-hmm. answers about my piriformis hurting. And um, so that's what I've been doing these physical therapy moves for. Yeah. So I did too. So that's so funny because um, it's, I, you know, I'm like, Sarah, you often want content, right? You help us, you manage our Instagram account. So mm-hmm. I'm like, what am I going to do? Like go walk with the dogs in the neighborhood again? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll put up some of these moves just because they're kind of fun, you know, and they're different to see. Um, so I'm glad if, if people are trying them even better, right? And not just mm-hmm. liking them. Hopefully they pull out their foam roller and and try the the tipping bird themselves. Yes, I think we've had like 350 people save it. So that means, oh, wow. are, yeah, so that means they're going to try it. I tried it. It's, it's very hard. <laughs> so <laughs> you're very strong. I think that's another thing is that you're doing these exercises that are more difficult and, and you're showing a little, I think the last one you showed a little bit of like grit, but you're also so strong. So it's your good example for doing it and you make it look easy in a way, even though they're not. So oh. yeah, but I have you, we posted another one a couple of weeks ago that was just as popular. So we're going to keep it up. Everybody are, out there. I'm just going to keep But, I'm but keep. don't keep up being injured though. Like you can still <laughs> yeah. do those physical therapy exercises despite, even if you feel hundred percent, um, keep giving me that content because I love it. Okay. All right. Well, I definitely have more to give. I have more yeah. to give for sure. It's a it's a longer routine than just the tipping bird. So, <laughs> but wait, I alluded, Sarah, to your Sprint Medley Relay National Championship. As people know, you coach a indoor, well, you coach a high school team and it's mm-hmm. indoor track season. So what is the Sprint Medley Relay? So the Sprint Medley Relay is um, a 200 meter to a 200 meter leg, to a 400 meter leg, to an 800 meter leg. So it's very quick. And yeah. the, so I, I coach middle distance at Bullis. And so, so like my athlete, the one I coach ran the 800 leg, but like, you know, we're all a team and a family. So I was there to support and hold my breath the whole time. And um, (laughs) these kids are little mini pros. So of course they did it. But I was it was my first time experiencing anywhere close to breaking a national record. And when they did it, I mean, I'm still like pinching myself that it happened because it got they got it by just the Nick, you know, uh, 14, 10, uh, one, you know, 10, a 10th of a second, I think it ended up being. So yeah, well, that's how you break the records, though. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's crazy, like the, And I'm I don't even remember who that who just broke the half marathon record again. You probably Wayne know Sarah. Mm-hmm. There you go. And yeah. by like what? Not 
a, a second, maybe not even a second. Or min- do you remember I think what it she was? She actually got it by quite a bit, like okay. in, uh, a significant chunk, not like minutes, but a lot. Yeah, it was really impressive because it was her debut. Um, and of course, on a, a half marathon, you have more time to extend. Or, but yes, records in track and field, like when it's just this short of distance, like they're going to be broken by, you know, just a second or something like that. So that was really exciting. And, and my athlete, who I've coached him since he was a freshman, he was that anchor leg and it all came down to him. And so I posted yeah. on my, my Instagram that right before something, I couldn't find my notebook. I'm like lost without a pen and a paper at a track meet, but I put my notebook down. And so the meet, the race was about to start. And I was like, I just need to know what splits they need to hit so that I can yell at him, whether he needs to go faster or slower. And I had it all in my head, but I'm like, I just need it on my hand. So I wrote it yeah. on my hand and the splits I wrote matched what they hit almost to the 100th. Like he oh needed gosh. a 153 flat. He got 153.08. The other athlete needed a, um, I, I kind of like accumulated their time. So he needed to come yeah. in at a certain time. He came in at that time. So I was like, oh, I should have played the lottery that day because I was <laughs> spot on. You that doesn't always on. happen. But I was yeah. like, we just, I think when you work with athletes close enough, you know what their capabilities are. And um, that 153 is very, very fast, but he can do better. But that's all, he was by himself and he didn't have any competition. So to run that on his own was, was really impressive. And just to see what kind of attention they got afterwards and just to see like, okay, they've been working really hard and this is just, they deserve this kind of, you know, national recognition. So yeah, hopefully it'll stand great. for a while. That's going to be a tough one to break to have four really fast kids on one team. That's, that's a hard um, challenge, but yeah. yeah. Well, and let's just clarify again that 153 is for an 800. <laughs> like, yeah, guys, go out and run uh, 800 meters around <laughs> your track. See how long it takes you. Try, it it's might take, take me, me one lap. I could do 153. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yes. I was just about to say, I don't even know that I could do that That's these days. Sub so. eight pace, if, if you do 400 yeah. meters and 153, like to put that in perspective. They're moving. They're moving. They're like, moving. They're well, young. Sub four they're minute young. mile. Yeah, they're young yeah. and they're male too. Let's just put that out there. They, yeah. are, they have the benefit of testosterone, which is um, sometimes mm-hmm. helpful. It'll anyway, one hundred percent helpful. Yes, but um, <laughs> I go then after practice, and then I'm like, let me see, like what where I am. Even with my girls, I'm like, they are so fast, and um, I get on the treadmill. I'm like, you know what? They, I had my day as a speedster and no longer. And I think running is running. And if I'm getting it done, I'm getting it done. But cannot compare myself to what they're capable of. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's and that's a really, you know, I mean, that's the hard part about, I think, especially being a runner, like young like that. I mean, because, mm-hmm. you know, most of us are, I, I know, speaking for myself, I came into it kind of in my 20s, just as a cross training thing. Like I didn't have anything to compare it to. Where like when I go get on the erg at, at the gym, you know, the rowing machine, I like, I know what's good and what's mm-hmm. bad. And that's all in quotation marks, right? right. But I, re- I remember what I was capable of. And I'm like, I can't even hit those numbers now if I tried, <laughs> you know, like if I just said, okay, 10, yeah. your 10 best strokes, what I used to used to be able to do for, you know, 2000 meters. No, uh-huh. can't do it. So anyway. Well, just quickly on speed, the, the uh, AMR podcast that, that is dropped today, which is Friday, 
Jen Harrison and coach Liz Waterstrat are all talk, talking about speed. So I'm like very, I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I have this like little voice in the back of my head that says, you can still be fast, Sarah. So I want to see what they say because they're speaking our language to our age group, our demographic, yes. and they yes. believe you can still get fast at any age. So I'm going to listen to that and, and kind of run with that and see what, you know, what I can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's shift uh, topics just for a second. So um, if you listened to our podcast last uh, two weeks ago, Many Happy Miles, you know that we talked to a rugby player and that we were like, well, I don't know, but she was such a cool woman. And a lot of people really enjoyed listening to her. A lot of um, former ruggers in our in our listening audience. So shout out to them. The, <laughs> I love yeah. it. Who would have known? Who would have known? I know. And- I it was incredible, and people were so excited to hear from Naya. And I I love that we got that kind of response because, like you said, it was a little bit out of our normal lane. But that's but- the mo- that's the direction that we're moving in in twenty twenty four, right, Dimity? Exactly, exactly. So we're going to still talk plenty of endurance sports and running, cycling, swimming, all those things, adventures for sure, hiking. Um, But we also just like really like I love a good story. We love a good story. We love talking to athletes that inspire us, that um, overcome certain speed bumps in their lives that you know, exemplify resilience, because that's what, when we think about our listening audience, that's what we think about, you know, women mm-hmm. who are just getting it done no matter mm-hmm. what and moving forward no matter what. So um, so today we're talking to an ice climber, which again, sounds a little random, but she came to it later in life. She, she didn't start hitting, going to the mountains until she was in her almost 30. And resilience, she was born without a hand, um, mm. which is also just interesting to hear her take on things. So just wanted to just give you a heads up. So you're like, wait a second, how does this fit with, you know, <laughs> running 800s? Yeah. Um, it does. And in, in that we're all about just moving forward and inspiring you with with interesting guests. And if you have somebody in your life or that you read about or whatever and want to um, have us interview, please let us know because, you know, we like, you, you guys have your finger on the pulse as well. You I mean, I went viral. So of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and circling awesome. it back to Instagram, that's a great way to reach out to us. If any of you are listening, you know, we're at the mother, at the mother runner, and you can just send us a message and, or just forward us a profile of somebody that you think might want to be on the podcast or we might be interested in, in having on the podcast. Cause that's just a really quick and simple way to get them on our radar. Love it. Um, and so before we start our interview with Kimber Cross, I am, you are dropping off now, Sarah, mm-hmm. um, because you were actually at, were you at track practice? You couldn't make I it was, for some reason. I was, yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so Kimber is a kindergarten teacher, so she had a small window. Sarah is a track coach, so she has small windows. So I'm the only one standing. <laughs> <laughs> and you're very capable. So I'm excited to hear your conversation with Kimber. Awesome. Our guest today is a remarkable woman. Kimber Cross of Tacoma, Washington, who was a kindergarten teacher by day and an ice climber and alpinist by weekend and summer vacation. Ice climbing, which is basically climbing frozen waterfalls with ice axes, is tough enough. But Kimber, who was born with one hand, is an adaptive ice climber and uses a custom prosthetic ice tool to scale up huge sheets of ice. So whether or not you have an interest in climbing or you're not a a cold weather person, I promise you, her story and her spirit of resilience will fire you up. Welcome, Kimber. Thank you for having me. I am so, so excited to talk to you. So you're a teacher and I'm guessing, you know, kids are very good at just stating the obvious. So I'm (laughs) guessing you get a bunch of questions about your hand. So how do you tell them about your uh, 
your limb difference. Yeah. You know, it turns into a great conversation that, you know, first day or a lot of times in kindergarten, in my district in particular, you know, the kids come in in meetings, like 30-minute meetings with each family where we kind of talk about kindergarten and and that's where they first see me and they first see my hand and right away they're like, what happened? Or they start making guesses, did a bus run over it? Um, you know, <laughs> all kinds of things. And so, you know, the parents will get a little like, oh, sorry, squirmy. But it's such a great opportunity to say, hey, like, no, like asking is okay. And having that conversation with the family and the kids talking about, you know, what makes me different and special, you know, we kind of break it down to, you know, a five-year-old level where it's like, hey, everyone's different. You know, our hair's different, our skin's different. Sometimes our limbs are different. And, you know, with representation and, you know, cartoons and media, you know, what five-year-olds have really seen in their first years of development, limb differences are kind of at the bottom. They haven't really seen that. Or if they have, you know, it's some Disney movie and it's usually a villain or a mutant and so that kind of negative or a certain connotation that's like, ooh, different, scary, can kind of yeah. be their background. And so they're learning their first year with me, like a whole new schema of thought processes when it comes to limb differences. And so I get to be, uh, you know, that that first <laughs> first responder to a kid's view of, bodies and major differences. And I love the fact that, you know, it's really grown a thick skin in me. Like, it's very hard to offend me. I have heard it all. You know, it looks like <laughs> looks like a piggy, a kitty hand. Uh, it's scary. It's cool. Like, I want that. Like, is it going to grow? And sometimes it's every single day. Is it going to grow again? Is it going to grow? I still have fifth graders that will come in once in a while and be like, so did your hair grow yet? Um, and <laughs> you're like, you know, you're just like, yeah, you know, it doesn't work that way. But it really yeah. becomes, you know, kind of this science lesson, kind of this just, this is part of being a human. And, yeah. and I just go with it and I really allow it to happen organically. You know, it's the elephant in the room. Usually when I get a new kid a couple of weeks later, they all want me to talk about it. But the cool thing is, you know, you kind of break the ice with them. They get to know you. They realize, oh, like, you're cool or, oh, like, you do things outside of the classroom, you know, climbing and skiing and, you know, you you have a prosthetic. And pretty soon, it's kind of no big deal. I'm not special yeah. anymore. They're like, whatever, you're fine. You're normal. And I love that. <laughs> I love it because it's like, that's what I want. That way, you can go on to a different grade. And if you see another kid that has a limb difference, you're not going to be freaked out. You're going to have that background knowledge that's like, oh, I had a pretty rad kindergarten teacher and I love her. So there you go. You must be like her. Like, you know, their minds just kind of make those stereotypes. And if they have a great experience learning about me and learning from me, then they're going to take that to the next kid. And that kid's not going to feel ostracized or inadequate or just, you know, a weird weirdo, you know, for lack of a better term. And I've seen that happen. You know, we've had students come in with limb differences and the acceptance and like, oh, my teacher was like that. Oh, you got to meet Miss Cross. Like that's been really, really cool. So that is a little bit of my, you know, educational background and kind of how I, I work in, you know, my limb difference into my career. 
I love it. I love it. Well, so you were born without, so you don't have any fingers, right? And you, you yes. have a right wrist. Is that correct? Is that yeah. That, right? Yeah. Okay. If you think of like a palm and then kind of where your pinky or thumb would start to develop. And so when the kids say, oh, it looks like a kitty face, they're, they're pretty anatomically accurate with like the ears and maybe, you know, kind of a, a round face. So, you know, I have most of my palm and then the digits just didn't continue. And the doctors told my parents it's called terminal transverse defect happens in like one out of like 900,000 babies or, you know, whatever that number, the high number is. And so being born that way, I only knew that one way. And your body, you know, subconsciously just adapts and modifies from the get-go. You know, like maybe I was born right-handed. I don't know. But, you know, I kick with my right leg, but I write with my left hand. Well, and you played softball and... Rugby, mm. I mean, at a pretty high level, right? Like high, fast pitch softball, which yeah. scares me just thinking about what <laughs> Yeah. You know, it was interesting. Like in the 90s, I was a 90s kid and my parents, for them, you know, representation for me, they, they were unsure. They're like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know. And my dad was heavily into sports and my mom, not so much. And so my dad very much pushed me into sports because I just loved being active. And they're like, right away, you were so independent. You didn't hide your hand. You didn't, like, you just knew of nothing else. And so as I got older, they found, you know, that in the Major League Baseball League, there was a pitcher called Jim Abbott. And he had one hand who was very similar to mine in, like, shape and length, you know, you have all of your forearm essentially, and then it's really just the hand that is mostly missing. And so I remember, I think it was like third grade, I started playing the t-ball and the baseball. And as I got older, you know, the, the fast pitch, and he was a pitcher for the California Angels. And that was my one, one version of representation. So consequentially, I pitched for nine years with a coach that would come up from Texas um, every two weeks. And and that became my passion because I modified a glove and, you know, Jim Abbott would throw with his hand and he had his glove tucked under his armpit and then he'd kind of make the switch. But for me, I just wanted to be able to react faster with the mechanics of fast pitch. You know, the ball goes under, you know, just my whole body. I was like, I think I'll be safer if I make a glove that can tighten onto my right arm, you know, kind of hand that has the stump. And that way I I can catch the ball faster. So we modified a glove and had some, you know, industrial strength, seamstress, you know, sewing kind of things worked in. And (laughs) I just was like, yeah, I'm just like Jim Abbott. Here's this, you know, six foot something tall white guy. And that's who I will look up to as a little girl in the 90s. (laughs) I love Um, it. I love it. Well, so did you spend time in the mountains as a kid or what drew you to your, now your passion, which is, you know, alpinism and and, uh, ice climbing? Yeah. You know, I grew up fishing, doing a lot of fishing and, you know, I would hold a pole under my armpit or kind of, you know, tucked in my stomach and then just different ways my dad would kind of teach me how to modify. And he was so active in my life, just helping me figure out things. And so come around, you know, 28, 29, I went through my first major, like, heartbreak. And before that, I was into marathons and I would do a lot of races, a lot of half marathons. Oh, wow. And I just loved fishing and running. And 
We just, we weren't a big mountain family. We were always on the ocean, always on the rivers. And in my later 20s, you know, I I went through my first big heartbreak and a mutual friend also went through, you know, a heartbreak. And she was like, you know, there's an organization called the Mountaineers out here in Washington State. Do you essentially want to take this heartache that we have and go climb Mount Rainier, Mount Mount Tahoma? Like, do you want to learn how to do that. And I was like, mm, yeah, okay, well, that that sounds cool. I've been on a hike before, um, which is so funny. You know, growing up in the Northwest, you it doesn't always guarantee that, you know, the outdoors and hiking, climbing is your world from the get-go. You know, there's lots of ways to participate in the outdoors. Sure. You know, getting a, you know, quote-unquote late start to it via, you know, just that season of life I was, I found out like, oh my goodness, this is entails a lot. There's tools and crampons and an ice axe and we're like climbing glaciers and then there was rock. And, you know, I took this basic alpine course and at the very first day, we're all sitting there and the instructor kind of pulls me over at the end and he's like, hey, so you're the first disabled person that we've had in our course and the committee is not quite sure that we should allow you to continue and for me, I was like, oh, uh, well, why? Why?" And then, yeah. you know, realizing like belaying and repelling and there's a lot of two-handed skills. And when you're roped up to someone like, yeah, your lives are tied together. And instead of, you know, this instructor saying, I'm sorry, like this just doesn't look safe. Like our opinion of it is not safe. He said, you don't get an easy out you're just going to do it like normal and tell everyone how you modify and adapt and you're going to figure it out and it's going to be safe. And so, you know what? I'm here for you. And to have someone who was an advocate right off the bat, who was honest with me and was like, yeah, no one, not everyone is 100% on board is a little jarring because you're like, wait, what? I grew up in athletics and I, I can do anything to, you know, and not be offended by that, but go, okay, well, like here's, the chance for their perspectives to be changed. And here's the chance for me to grow in a new skill and, and learn new modifications that I haven't done yet in my, you know, 28 years of life. And so that's kind of how I started in this basic Alpine course. And so was that, that was in 2017. Is that correct? Uh-huh. Yeah. 2016. Yeah. 2016. Started. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then okay. soon after that, you know, with, with my summer schedule, I kind of learned all the hard skills and soft skills and start climbing and, you know, joining these climbing groups and being the follower. And in a nine-day span, that very first summer, I climbed Mount Olympus, a multi-pitch rock climb on the tooth to, you know, um, a three-day climb of Mount Rainier. So in nine days, I climbed all three peaks and was like, huh, I like this. Uh, this, <laughs> this, this type this type too fun, this, you know, you're exhausted, but you're building community and you're pushing your limits. Like it brings me so much joy, like the physical pain of it mixed in with the reward. I'm like, there's something here that is just gold and my heart is lighting up and my, the heartache and, you know, being a a woman in her later twenties and, you know, where do I want to go with my life? Who do I want to be? it really started to transform even in that first summer where I was like, no, as an adaptive woman, like I have a place in the outdoors. I have a place in the climbing world. Like then I started to learn about adaptive climbing and like, oh wow, like there's more than just me. Like I'm not the only one here. That's so cool. 
Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more conversation with Kimber in just a second. So just for our listeners who, who uh, like, what's the difference between like hiking up Mount Rainier, which I realize you can't hike up versus like <laughs> climbing up it. So like, I mean, just explain a little bit because you're talking about equipment and stuff. And I think a yeah. lot of people, I know I think like hiking when I think alpinism, but that's, there's a, it's another level, correct? Right. And, and hiking is a part of it. You know, the term, um, an approach, hey, we have, you know, a five mile approach to the base of the glacier or the base of the rock climb. And that's, that's hiking. You know, we're just carrying yeah. all our equipment. We're walking on a trail. And then where it turns into climbing is usually where, you know, if it's on a glacier, you know, you're putting on your crampons on your boots, you know, cause you're walking on ice or hard snow. You're roping up, you know, because you're about to pass through crevasses and then your helmet and harness that has all your carabiners and material for crevasse rescue, you know, your ice axe, your pack, all your layers and food. And, you know, you're taking in all the elements of hiking or backpacking. You're just bringing in other tools that will help you mitigate kind of those those risky areas of a mountain, you know, glaciers or, you know, cliff bands or, you know, rock. There's a lot of objective hazards. And so that's kind of where the climbing will begin, you know, on Mount Rainier, you know, Tahoma specifically, Camp Mirror is at 10,000 feet. And that's pretty much a hike, you know, through snowfield. Camp Mirror is kind of at the top of that Mirror snowfield. And then from there on, the crevasses get larger. And that's where it really turns into a more technical climb where you need equipment to be able to do this safely. You kind of need those skills. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, and so let's talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about like um, being on belay or um, being on ropes, which is you have inherently have a partner with you who is helping you. You're either guiding them or they're I don't know what, how do you describe belaying? I've never done it. I just, uh, I mean, I've done it. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. Like you're basically helping them lower down or what? Yeah. So, you know, with belaying, you, you know, you have your harness and you have a device that, you know, oftentimes it's called an ATC device and it's the rope will go through it and it's attached to your harness with a locking carabiner. And it's a way that you can have, you know, if you're the follower or if you're the, you know, the person belaying, that person in front of you, if they're not on top rope where the rope is above them attached to an anchor above, maybe they're leading it. And so you're, you know, paying out rope, giving out slack so they can kind of move up the route, place gear, you know, clip their, you know, sport draws or alpine draws and then clip the rope into that draw and and keep moving up. So you're, as a belayer, giving them slack, taking in slack, you know, if okay. there's a fall, you're there to catch them and you want to, you know, pull the rope and it kind of locks inside this ATC device and will, you know, prevent a large fall and prevent a big injury with your partner. And if you're on top rope, the same thing, you know, but you're falling if you fell on top rope, you know, the rope is above you on an anchor and your falls tend to be a lot smaller and less consequential. Um, but as a belayer, like, you're really the one who's managing that rope, paying it out, taking the slack in, and helping that climber climb successfully. You know, and, and the rope is, you know, that safety piece. And so you're a big part of that. Um, and there's commands that you learn as you're climbing with a partner. And so you guys are talking to each other and kind of this climbing code 
back and forth. And so, you know, there's awareness of what you, what my climber needs or, you know, what I'm doing as I'm belaying. Sure. And is, and, uh, is there any, has there ever been any issue with you having a limb difference uh, or is it, is, I mean, either like trust wise or, you know, just physically? Yeah, I think, you know, it's been kind of a mixed bag. I mean, number one, when I first started, like I had to get to the point where I was very confident belaying for myself because honestly, like I do think people have a right regardless of who your partner is, like a two-handed person, like people drop their partners all the time. You know, they let go of the rope, you know, um, whatever it may be. And so it's not like that worry about, oh, is, can this person belay, you know, is only for a one-handed person. And so there's that element of, it's always a good thing to, you know, do a safety check with each other, or if you've never climbed together, you know, practice on a kind of a lower grade climb. But with, you know, the the one-hand thing, it was definitely a, you know, some friends have been honest on the get-go, like, hey, like, can, can you can you do it? And lead with the assumption of, that doesn't seem possible, so I'm assuming you can't, and that makes me nervous. But in a, there's been another camp that have been like, hey, tell me how you do it. Like, I'm fascinated. I believe you can. Show, show me. Like, I'm interested. And and I kind of fall on that middle ground of like, I want you to feel the freedom to ask me how I do it, but not at a deficit, not at that assumption that I can't because I'm sure. lacking, but I do it in a modified way. And so I love having that kind of conversation, and I love you know, where when I'm teaching people how to climb and, you know, they're watching like, oh, wow, like a girl with one hand can belay, like, you know, she's capable of this. And and it, it eases that fear or that that stereotypical doubt, you know, for maybe a disabled person. So that, that conversation has, has happened. And, and I have felt that too when I'm climbing and there's someone belaying me that has a limb difference. You know, I'm just like, oh, okay. You know, my mind is kind of like, well, will they catch me if I fall? But then it's that conversational trust, and and you really have that with every partner, regardless sure, sure. of disability. Yeah. Know? Well, so let's switch to ice climbing a little bit yeah. because that is such a fascinating sport. Um, so you have a prosthetic that was made mm-hmm. for you, obviously, mm-hmm. individually, <laughs> personally, right? Uh, it took about a <laughs> yeah. year, correct, to yes. to get it made correctly. Yeah, yeah. The doctor was like, "Hey, like, I want to help you build this. You know, I make prosthetics for." mostly, you know, lower limb needs from amputations and whatnot. And he was like, I just need you to tell me what's ice climbing. (laughs) What is it? And so I sat down (laughs) with him and pulled up a video of, you know, there's a famous uh, Canadian ice climber, Will Gadd. um, And he's kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, really profound in, you know, his teaching and climbing. And so I just showed him some videos on YouTube of Will. And I was like, this this is ice climbing and this is what I want to do. And I'm in a course that's teaching me. And you know what? I was shown, I told him, I'm like, hey, I was shown like a couple weeks ago, a grainy picture of this one gal climbing with a prosthetic. And so I know it's been done and I know it can be done again. And it just took that one picture, that one glimpse of representation for me to go, okay, no, 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 like this can happen. And how powerful, because I don't know if I would have been able to finish the course had someone not shown me, oh my gosh, this exists. And his initial thought was, hey, number one, I want you to be able to climb safely as you learn and not fall out of the prosthetic. And so it was a lot of, you know, the casting and 
liner workings and, you know, Petzl, um, you know, is a company that creates climbing tools and whatnot. They, you know, helped me out with getting, you know, at at an affordable price, getting tools because I was like, I'm going to have to cut up a bunch. We're doing some prototypes. I don't know, you know, what that process is going to look like. And so to have support from the doctor and, you know, and a company, you know, creating the ice tools, um, it it was just kind of wild to go, this did not exist before. And I couldn't really participate in the sport at the level that I wanted to, like without this invention. And it was so fascinating to, to just be live watching a tool that didn't exist a year ago exist now. And it's been about seven, maybe, you know, seven or eight seasons since. And where it's taken me around the country, you know, into Canada and, you know, leading on ice, not just kind of top rope following, but being able to get on what's called the sharp end, you know, where the the spicy end, you know, where you're leading and the ropes below you and, you're placing screws, ice screws, and you know, it's it's been so fun because I I wanted to participate, but I wanted to truly feel like I could even lead in it and and give my all in it and not just you know settle for always being the follower. Yeah, yeah. What does it What does it feel like to do? I mean, so kind of talk. What What skills do you need to be an ice climber? I mean, I imagine patience is a big one. And endurance, yeah. but maybe I'm making those up. Like, tell me, like, a good ice climber is what kind of person or has what kind of traits in them? Uh, they know how to mitigate the cold. <laughs> I would say. <laughs> I was going to you know, ask you, how do you stay warm? That was going to be my next question. So, yeah, you know, it's kind of this ever evolving process, and you learn pro tips from friends that have been climbing for years and, like, oh, I do this and this. And, you know, so really mitigating cold factor, you know, your toes to your fingers to your core. Um, And I pretty much make sure my kit, you know, has those elements. I know how to layer. So there's that, you know, like layering for the cold because it is a level of, you know, type two fun where, hey, it's miserable when you're cold at times, but when you're moving and going and climbing, you're warm and it's enjoyable. And so, you know, get past the cold, you know, it's also that kind of that knowledge and wisdom of ice and you know, what is good ice, um, you know, what are good screw placements, because the number one rule of ice climbing kind of as true is, you know, don't fall, no falling. Yeah. You know, you have very sharp things on your feet, very sharp things in your hand. You have all your ice screws on your harness and they're very sharp at the end and, you know, they can kind of get you in the hip and the thigh. And... So having an awareness of reading the ice, you know, and I think having this, you know, excitement and a risk tolerance that grows with experience, I think practice, you know, and not really feeling like, oh man, you know, social media, I have to jump into leading WI4 or 5 and just kind of like taking it slow and, and really putting in that practice, having the patience season by season to grow in your skill, you know, as you would kind of any sport. Sure. Well, so how do you how do you train in general? I mean, ice climbing and also just for, you know, climbing the volcanoes around Washington or any kind of adventure. Like, is it mostly in the gym? Are you running some? Are you at the boulder wall? Is it a combination of all three? Yeah. You know, with climbing and ice climbing out in Washington, you know, 
the approaches can be miles and miles. And, you know, hey, it's a three-hour approach. It's a four-hour approach. You know, you go into different places like Highlight Canyon in Bozeman, Montana, and, and you're pretty much like cragging. Like you have a five-minute walk and boom, you're at a big ice wall. And so, you know, there's different elements for climbing or, you know, ice climbing specifically. Like there's a lot of, you know, aerobic and anaerobic training you want to do. I'll put on a pack with, you know, some water in there and it'll weigh about, you know, 35 pounds. And I'll go either to a stadium, bowl stadium stairs, or I'll go up to, you know, out in Washington, we have a mountain called Mount Sai. It's about four miles and 4,000 feet of elevation. And, you know, I just will walk up that and try to walk slowly and just, you know, can my body carry a lot of weight and walk for a lot of hours, multiple days in a row. And so your your training, it doesn't feel intense in the moment, but it's building that endurance. Like I want my body to be able to adapt to long suffering. And then when it's related to, you know, the ice climbing, like it's a lot of, you know, pull-ups, it's a lot of hanging on my tools. It's, you know, a TRX band and I'm you know, kind of doing pull-ups or, you know, a lot of back work where I'm just making sure my arms are strong, my back is strong, so, you know, they can hang on tools or they can, you know, reach up and lift a tool above my head and swing it over and over and over. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was listening to a podcast about with you and Kit, Kit Delorier. I was listening to for a little background, and um, I understand you still have the pull-up record at your gym, like 31 pull-ups. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and not not the kipping kind where, you know, you're using the velocity and um, yeah, just you can be surprised with how strong your wrist is. Because, you know, your wrist, that essentially is what I'm working with when I'm doing pull-ups or, you know, when I'm um, lifting any kind of kettlebell or, or a barbell. It's with that portion of my wrist. Same mm-hmm. when I'm rock climbing or I'm in the gym, you know, I'm taping up my wrist and my palm, and I'm, you know, I do a lot of mantling and pushing off with my stump or in kind of the nubs on my hand. But yeah, it's it's really all in my wrist. And so for me, I just know like what's going to help me not only as a climber, but as an adaptive climber is maintaining that strength. Because my prosthetic, you know, it weighs about six pounds. And and that's on the the heavier side, you know, that carbon fiber and the titanium, you know, kind of connector to the ice tool, it can be a lot on, you know, my arm over over time. And so for me to make sure, you know, I'm a partner and as equal as I can get, you know, that is safe and prepared, really, you know, fitness and, and training, especially in the off season are really key pieces, you know, to, to maintaining my ability, you know, to be successful on these climbs and to be a successful partner. You know, I don't want to be the weak link per se. And so, yeah, it just, for me, my passion is, you know, keeping my body, you know, healthy and strong to be able to go do these things safely. I love it. I love it. Well, so, um, so you're, uh, you know, you obviously have overcome quite a bit and figured out like this way into this very kind of narrow sport and, and are thriving in it, which is very Mm -hmm. cool. Can you like widen that a little bit? Like what, what, inspires you to do the things that you do 
And I mean, maybe it's coming back to the way that you talk to your your kindergarten kids. But I'm just like, if someone's like, well, I could never try that. You know, I think that that's a lot of, especially as we get older, you know, I'm like, oh, well, you know what? Like, as I was listening to you on the podcast, I'm like, oh, you know what? I've always wanted to climb Rainier. And I'm like, well, you know what? It might probably, you know, that, that, that day has probably passed. I'm like, maybe it hasn't Dimity, you know? So I guess just talk a little bit about like how you, your mentality, because you're what, you're close to 40, I think. Yeah. 37. Yeah. 37. So you're not, you're not that close to 40. Sorry. You've got three more years, but, but you picked up Alpine, you know, you picked it up at like age 30, right? Like it's, it's not, um, it's not like you were, you, you weren't growing up climbing mountains. Right, right. It happened, you know, later in life. And sometimes I'm like, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe my knees are way stronger than they would be if I started at 15 or something. Sure. You know, I think about injuries and, you know, but I, you know, the way my life kind of turned out, you know, I remember being 16 and going, oh man, I'm going to be 25 with a bunch of kids. And, and those things just never appeared in my life. And, you know, I've, what I love is I've been around enough climbers where I'm like the diversity of people's background, what they're dealing with, their age, you know, what their family looks like. And I've climbed with every type of human experience. It almost feels like, you know, climbing with people in their seventies, climbing with a mom of five kids and, you know, she's crushing it up the mountain. And I'm really like, you know, it doesn't, matter. I think the key phrase in my heart that keeps me motivated is if you don't quit, you win. Yeah. And I also pair that with another phrase like comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, and I say so that all the time. I say motiv- that all the time. I love that that you said brought that up. Yeah. 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 Because I'm like, uh, oh, you know, it's so easy for me to, you know, go like, man, I don't have two hands. Like people can do things so much easier, so much faster. Like, wow, how fast they zipped up their coat, how fast they buckled their thing. You know, there's elements where, you know, I'm just not going to do it the same way that woman is or that man is or that person is. And and so to be able to go like, nope, I'm not going to compare. That's going to be a thief of my joy and I'm not going to accept that in my life. And if I don't quit, I win. And realizing like I can truly start a passion at any age. And it doesn't have to be something as intense as climbing Rainier. It could be, you know, a simple, you know, I, I want to learn how to sew mittens for my my hand, my little stump, and, and I do. And so I'm like, okay, well, how do I hold the two crocheting needles? That's kind of my current, you know, okay, I figured out the ice climbing, but uh, crocheting is actually the thing in my life that's <laughs> proving to be the hardest to overcome. Um, but I, I just love those two phrases. and And I think that mindset is so vital. Like it's not over. My life is not over until I take my last breath. And, you know, little, like little goals and the consistency and being disciplined with consistency and knowing that consistency is not a perfectly round circular thing. You know, there's lots of valleys and hills and this and that. Just realizing like, if I don't quit, I win. And the, the goal setting and the discipline, you know, with your mind and your body and your soul, like that is a, is a human characteristic that we have. And if we apply it into the outdoors and where we want to go or whatever we want to apply to, like, it just is so healthy, I think, for our overall being. And that's what provokes me. I'm like, I hope I'm climbing well into my forties and fifties and sixties. And I'm hope I'm able to be that a picture of representation 
for other people, disabled or not, that they're like, oh my gosh, like she made a goal and she stayed with it and look where she is now. And so whatever my goal is, I'm going to walk that same road. I love it. I love it. Well, I know you got to go pick up your kiddos at gym. So thank you so much for talking to yeah. us, Kimber. You are an inspiration. Good luck with your um, with your climbing this winter. Hopefully the weather, the, there are enough you. waterfalls around you, frozen waterfalls to oh, keep yeah. you going. I'm, I'm flying out Friday to Montana for a good long weekend of climbing and teaching climbing with, uh, you know, the mountaineers. And so it's pretty fun to go, wow, okay, you know, almost a decade later, now I'm the one that gets to take people on trips and, and teach them how to climb ice. So that's, that's what I got looking forward to this weekend. But thank you so much for having me. Enjoy. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. All right. You too. Take care, Kimber. Bye. Okay, so maybe Mount Rainier is still in my cards. I was thinking about putting it or giving it to Ben for his high school graduation, a trip there. I don't think that that's, I think that's a little bit of me transposing onto him what I want. I don't think that's really what he wants for high school graduation. So, but I'm going to keep it, I'm going to keep it alive in my brain. And maybe uh, one day I'll go learn to use an ice axe of my own. In the meantime, I wanted to let you know that Many Nutritious Miles is open for registration. That is our kind of revamp of the program that we did last year. It is a straight shooting program led by sports nutritionist Jen Giles, who is also a mother of four and an endurance athlete. We just wanted to create a program that cuts through the sassy, confusing messages on social media and offer you the building blocks of solid research-backed nutrition for active women of all ages. We're going to have three blocks of many nutritious miles this year. The first one is called Macro Basics, where we're going to cover the fundamentals of protein, fats, carbs, fiber, and nutrients. Okay, so we're going to do kind of the, the, the basic building blocks. So over the course of eight weeks, we're going to dive into each topic, including what role it plays in your body's physiology and your day-to-day -day activities, the top-rated sources of it, and how to know if you're getting enough of it to meet your active needs. Our program starts on February 12th. We'll have a link in the show notes for more details and registration. Our podcast today was produced by Barry Medor of Fire on the Bluff in St. Paul, Minnesota, where they might ice climb, I'm not sure. <laughs>